I'm Nana Fentelberg for Biz News. The Cape Floral Kingdom is home to the highest concentration of plant species on the planet, and 70% of the 9,600 species grow nowhere else. Much of the Cape Floral Kingdom, including Table Mountains National Park, has been registered as a UNESCO protected area. Protecting these areas go hand in hand with the upliftment of the communities that that live near it. And there's a non-profit organization called the Grootbos Foundation that has a mission to conserve this unique floral kingdom and to develop sustainable livelihoods for the local population. Well, joining us in the studio is Phil Murray from Grootbos Foundation. Hi, Phil. Um, Thanks for joining us. Hi, Linda. Thank you for inviting us and giving us the opportunity to talk about our work. Well, give us the background, Grootbos Foundation. How did it start and what is its mission? So, Grootbos Foundation, maybe where I should start is where, where you actually find us. Um, about two hours drive away from Table Mountain, um, near a little coastal town called Hansby, um, and kind of in the landscape between Hansby and Hermanus, there is beautiful landscape um, where where you find the the Fruitpaws Private Nature Reserve. Um, and on the Fruitpaws Private Nature Reserve, there is a luxury lodge called Fruitpaws Lodge. And there's also the offices of a foundation that was registered in 2003 called the Fruitpaws Foundation. We, we work at the Fruitpaws Foundation um, using funding and donations that have been made to our program through corporates, CSI investments, um, family trusts, sometimes guests from the lodge itself, donations from the lodge to the foundation, but also public funding to um, to be able to deliver conservation work and conservation science in this natural landscape where primarily we want to protect the, the minute d- diversity that's within the Cape Floral Kingdom. Um, but we also see that you can't do meaningful, lasting conservation if you don't take the people who live in that landscape along with you. So Grootbos Foundation is committed not only to the science of conservation and the landscape partnerships with other role players in a conservation landscape, but also with developing um, vocational training and youth development programs for all of the people that live in this area closest to where the Grootbos Private Nature Reserve is. So that includes communities from um, Franz Kral, Pooley Beach, Hansby, Stanford, Yelum, and some of our programs stretch as far as Hermanus, Mount Pleasant, and Horston as well. Well, before we get to the the, the community's involvement and all that, um, I, every time I go to, I've been to Chelsea Flower Show where the South Africans used to exhibit every year, but I think the funding dried up for that. And people were always, the first thing they asked me, uh, you know, when they realized we South Africans around, is about the Feinbos and how amazing it is and the Proteas. Uh, so how important is is it to pre- preserve preserve it so you can't let nature just run its course? So um, the, the real foundation of our work is that first we notice the botanical diversity within this landscape. So if you've got the right eye, you can be an amateur botanist, but if you've got the right eye, you actually notice, if you look closely enough, within the Feinbos, which is such a mixed vegetation type, um, how much diversity there is. To the untrained eye, it looks like a fairly um, scraggy, 
scratchy kind of mixture of kind of two meter height vegetation. But you see it burst into color, usually in our rainfall season, which is in wintertime. And in actual fact, the diversity of our plants um, is so vast for such a small geographical area. And because the plants are diverse, also the pollinators, the different insects and creatures, the mammals that live within the landscape as well, the birds, they also diverse. Um, and so doing the science of surveying what we have here so that we notice its beauty, know what we have, um, it might be that we have already lost some species before we started counting what we have now. Yeah. Um, if we can survey, survey the biodiversity of what is currently here and then find a way to share the joy in that and share children's conservation programs and a whole lot of other programs all focused on getting people to appreciate the wildness of the landscape that we live in, then they will help you protect it and conserve it. And we need to do that because we're also in a fire-driven landscape. So we need humans to be careful about when uh, about their behavior when it is our summer season so that their casual behavior might not lead to a fire that does a whole lot of damage and even damages human homes. So within Discord Bores Private Nature Reserve, we've been counting the botanical species. So it's the plants that make up this, um, the fanbos. And so far, we've managed to count 947 just at Hrutbos. But our team, at, the team at Hrutbos Foundation is not only made up of botanists. We also have entomologists who are sampling and surveying the insects. Um, and we know that the, the, um, what we know the least about is the insect uh, kingdom and also, the smaller an insect is, the most, the more likely it is to not yet have been named or described for science. So the closer you look, the smaller an insect is, the smaller the plants are, the more you see. And Kripos Foundation has been doing this for 20 years. And so we're proud of what we've noticed. And we shared our joy um, in programs for adults. We want to encourage adults to find work opportunities within the landscape that actually help us contribute to conservation targets as well and we want to share that joy with their kids as well so that people actually feel privileged to live in this beautiful area well so you're talking about we're talking about fainbos but what about the rooibos which is so well known you know you know everybody drinks it around the world and um we've now no, no longer called it red bush it's rooibos and honeybush does that also grow that so the quick answer is no, not the rooibos, because that grows very specifically in the Clan William area, um, and it doesn't grow naturally here. I think that's why Clan William is the is the cent the center of the rooibos world. Um, it just doesn't thrive anywhere else. Honeybush, we do, however, get um, some of that closer here, and we do use rooibos and honeybush in making some of the special teas that you can actually. I mean, joy as a guest at Hrutbos and buy from some of the shops. We do make teas with the botanical, Fainbos botanicals that you get um, on the reserve here as well. Well, and tell us about these programs you have to to educate people. And, and you've talked about the the entomologists and the scientists involved. Um, can we look at the community programs first? I mean, yeah, you've got an yeah. What what are they? So the foundation, we, we think of our programs as um, existing in four columns. Um, and so I'll focus on the columns that focus on humans at the moment. So 
our one column, we call it Green Futures Education. And that is where we offer adult vocational training in three programs. So that's Indigenous Horticulture, or Hospitality, or Biodiversity Stewardship. Those are one-year programs that we offer to adults. Um, we recruit for those programs and we offer the training um, at no charge to the beneficiaries because we intentionally select people from the community who've been the least served. And we, we recruit to find the people who've had the least opportunity. So they might have family dependents. They may not even have their matric yet. And what we want to do is give them um, a skill set after a year of studying with us, which includes one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Our classes are small so that our um, teachers have a year to provide personal mentorship, all the other life skills that are needed to make an adult um, better prepared to succeed in the workplace. Um, and so those, those three one-year programs enable us to graduate 40 people a year. That's up to 24 in Indigenous horticulture and ecotourism. And, and the difference is made up by people who do the um, biodiversity stewardship program. Biodiversity stewardship training is less classroom-based and more outdoor-based. So what we want to do is provide people who are really interested in sitting behind a computer or learning, but they want to have a skill that enables them to get sustainable work that could involve um, a contract to clear invasive plant species. So we used to call them alien clearing, but to be clearer now, we say invasive plant species. That's important in our landscape because um, wildfires are exacerbated if we don't clear the, the invasive Australian species from the fanbors, and they also have an impact on our water system. So in order in our natural water courseways. So we actually want to protect um, the vegetation and the landscape as much as possible what it would have looked like if before humans settled here. We want to make sure that future human behavior in this area doesn't do any further damage. And we want to provide these trainings to the adults who live here so that they can also work in the landscape um, with skills that the landscape needs. So whether they are cutting and building mountain bike trails or hiking paths, whether they are doing alien invasive plants clearing, whether they are, um, and that can also, the you know, the um, offtake from that is a firewood business where someone could um, sell firewood. Um, we also... Uh, guide teams in sustainable flower picking. So there's a way where you can pick flowers and sell flowers, but in a way that doesn't um, deplete the natural resource. So all of the flower pickers are trained and they have a permit and they pay to pick flowers, but they can then go on and sell them. Um, and they can do erosion control. They can be contracted by different farmers to do different work. Um, so we give them the skills at no charge to them so that they can make more of a success of, of their working lives and generate their own income for their family. That's the one adult training program. Yeah. We then have a broad children's program, which we call sports development. That uh, We've got a great team of really dynamic sports coaches. Um, and they're a special type of person because a community sports coach is someone who wants to use the joy and the pleasure of sports not to find elite sports players who may make it to a national team, but rather to be the social safety net, the, the safe place where teenagers and kids are every afternoon. When school is over, they come and pl they play sport. They don't even have to be sporty. 
Sometimes we do have kids that get scouted and are noticed for their individual skills, but we're delivering the program that keeps the kids safe, gives them a meal every afternoon. They've got positive role modeling from their coaches. Their coaches come from within their communities, so they look and talk like them. Um, mm. And we use that sports opportunity to deliver a whole lot of other very specially devised curricula that deliver um, curricula on female empowerment, um, conservation for kids, um, breaking the cycle of gender-based violence, awareness of um, HIV. We did a lot of COVID programming during the lockdown. Um, and we also give kids um, water, water safety skills. So we don't say we teach mm -hmm. them to swim so that they can become Olympic swimmers. We teach them to swim so that they would be they're safe in a body of water because yeah. where we are positioned is very coastal. And South Africa has a long and hot summer. And so many of the children in non-fee schools in, in the Western Cape don't have swimming pools at their schools and don't, don't ever learn to swim, which means that there is a likelihood of them drowning in the sea, um, in tidal pools, in rivers and dams. And so we, we teach children how to be water safe at the age of five and six years old. And we also have a teenage water safety program which focuses on girls um, the, we teach them to swim in the tidal pools here with our specially trained coaches, and then we teach them to surf. But actually, the program is built upon a curriculum which is teaching mental health and resilience and female empowerment to a group of girls. So that's that's the model of how we do youth development through the fun of sports, but actually to be the social safety net for teenagers in this area. We also then have an enterprise development program, which looks at subject choices, careers in high school and career choices and making the right choices at the right time to give you the most options for a considered career when you leave school. So our teachers, as part of our team, go into local high schools and primary schools to, um, to help children with their subject choices and to start those conversations about how to start thinking about their career planning their CV, choosing the right subject, making them aware of uh, work opportunities within the green economy as well. Because we're so focused on conservation, we want to share um, work, we work opportunities within the green economy space. And what we would really like to do is inspire high school children at the non-fee school in Hansby to go into science careers as well, in, particularly, in particular life science careers. Um, so we do engagements through our sports program with kids to get them to start thinking about career pathways, and we want them to consider science pathways as well. And then, sure. so, and and then the the top age group of of our enterprise development program has um, two streams of program, and that's to try and help people enter the working world and make money. One is to encourage and train entrepreneurs. Sure, they get. They get the basic skills of being skills of being entrepreneurs, and then they are also given the opportunity to pitch their small business to receive seed funding mm. and twelve months worth of mentorship to try and set up their businesses in our communities for success. Um, and the other stream is to help people get workplace experience, so that we set them up so that they can go and do two weeks of work experience in a real business. We pay them. Uh, a weekly stipend so that they're actually in some cases earning their first money but they're given the confidence of 
how how people need to behave and how you need to prepare yourself and what really working in the real world is like. And we have found that both of those programs help people enter unemployed people become become empowered enough to generate their own income. So those are human programs. Um, And the vast majority of our team, we've got a permanent team of 46 staff members, are focused on our human program delivery. Our fourth column, which is our smallest team, they're the team of scientists who actually look at the nature, they survey the nature, they hold relationships with other landowners in this area because you also aren't doing effective conservation if you're only conserving your patch of land. Um, So building relationships with all of the land neighbors, with Cape Nature and the Walker Bay um, Nature Reserve and conversations with other role players that stretch our conservation work into corridors so that nature can safely live close to human settlement but not be um, not in a position of conflict because we want to nature was here first and humans appreciate the beauty of nature that's why people have chosen to live out here Um, and they want to find a way that we can live close to nature but not um, not damage nature in any way so we're always looking for um, for stretching our corridors of our conservation work Sure. There's a lot of verticals and um, it's so comprehensive. What kind of impact have you had over the past 20 years? Is there some figures? How many people have gone through all your programs? So we've had um, just over 200 adults graduate in 20 years from our college. So those would be the hospitality program and the horticulture program. Um, we've had 60 graduate from our biodiversity stewardship program, which is the more outside, not classroom-based adult training. Um, in our in our biggest year, when we were we had our most active international volunteer program, and the landscape that we worked in, the the footprint was the the widest. We had eight and a half thousand youths who came mm-hmm. to our sports programs every afternoon. We've shrunk our geographical footprint to focus more closely on the area where we do our conservation work. So we and also COVID impacted our volunteer program. So fewer volunteers were coming. That meant that we had fewer um, volunteer coaches um, able to help us deliver sports to to greater numbers in the afternoon. So at the moment we've got two and a half thousand children who rely on us every day of the mm-hmm. week and on Saturdays for matches, for coaching um, and That's a amazing. meal every afternoon. And we deliver holiday, fun kids holiday programs as well so that they aren't neglected during um, school holidays. That our, we've got, always got something fun going on down at uh, the community sports field in, in Kranzbeier that's free for anyone who turns up there. Um, and I think this might be an opportunity for me to also tell you the amazing story about, about how that multi-sports field um, and facility came, came to life. Uh, in 2008, the whole world was looking at South Africa because we were in the countdown to hosting the 2010 Soccer World Cup. And our chairman happened to cross paths with a man by the name of Richard Scudamore, who at the time was the CEO of the Premier League in the UK. And together, they identified that Hanspire had no community sports facility at all, but there was the land. It did exist there. It was municipal land. It was windswept and barren and there were a few scraggly bushes and a bit of litter and a few 
um, single track footpathways. And together, the, as a great example of a private-public partnership, the municipality had the land, Kruitbos Foundation had the idea and the ability to um, execute an ongoing program that would continue to serve the community. And the Premier League was able to access funding to leave a lasting legacy of positive impact after the 2010 World Cup. We actually managed to put in a multi-sports facility in Kansbar that we call Spaces for Sport. And since 20 and since 2008, Fruitbos Foundation has made sure that there is a kids youth program delivered every afternoon for the community to just turn up to and attend and get a meal and positive coaching. We started with just soccer as well. But I'm proud to say that we've grown our sports offering to whatever sports gets kids there. So if they're hockey players or track and field individual experts or cross-country runners or hockey, hockey players or um, female rugby players, we've added all of these other sports to our offering mm. because we wanted to be the sports is the fun activity that gets kids to turn up. And once they start turning up, the they get into a cycle of, enjoying the fun of um, hanging out with their friends, working in a team, learning personal skills, hanging out with positive role models of their coaches. And then there's all that other benefit that we add from running our other programs, what we call our Sports for Good programs. True, and they, uh, the Premier League is still sponsoring this. So the Premier League continued to sponsor us for 10 years. Um, okay. It was during COVID that the Premier League had to reassess their strategy and um, we, we had really open and really um, friendly conversations with them, but they, their strategy shifted to focus more of their community outreach to within the UK um, okay. and to spread it to other organizations that do sports development in the world um, oh. to give everyone more of a chance, I suppose. So um, Kruipos Foundation is very privileged to have had 10 years of support from the Premier League, and we're still on great terms with them and personal friends with them, and they, uh, we still remain in contact with them, but they're no longer continuing to sort, support our program. And they're thrilled that our program is able to continue after their support as well. That shows that it grew legs. And, the, and it's continuing, the program, as, as you mentioned. That's so interesting. Um, can we just get back to the um, – you talked about wildfires. Fanbos is so unusual that it has to burn. Um, but there was uncontrolled wildfires this year in uh, the Pringle Bay area, and you said you also had wildfires. How bad were they? So, fortunately, the most recent wildfires in our area spared Kruitbos Kruitbos Private Nature Reserve and the other members of the Walker Bay Fanbos Conservancy. But around us, in as you mentioned earlier, the Pringle Bay area and then around Pearly Beach and France Kral and out towards Stillby and the, um, the Cape Agullis National Park area, there were um, very aggressive, uncontrolled wildfires. It was mm. very hot and very windy. Um, we... We were spared this time, although we're under no illusion that fire won't touch us. We do have a, a um, very creative and innovative and up-to-date fire management plan at Fruitbos, and we share our expertise with all the other landowners that are within the same conservancy as us, and that involves maintaining um, fire breaks, and it also involves putting in um, 
at on the very edge of the autumn and the spring season with the oversight of the Fire Protection Association, we are able to um, put in controlled burns. So what that does is it enables us to identify blocks of fanbores that might not have burned for more than a decade. Oh, um, naturally, the fanbores does prefer to burn every six or so years. That gives it the best um, germination potential for the next um, strong, you know, regrowth of fanbores. Um, so in order to try and protect human assets but let the fanbores burn in a safe way, we are able to put in controlled burns. And the idea behind that is that you actually build up what we call a patch mosaic burn pattern so that some of the older blocks of fanbores where there's a lot of dead, dry matter that would make a fire much more dangerous, you burn that in a controlled area on a still day. Um, and once it's burnt in a controlled burn, it's less likely it, that would be a place where a wildfire would stop. It would be able to slow the spread of a <clears throat> wildfire when it came up to a block of vegetation that had been burnt in a controlled burn. So we managed on Kripal's Private Nature Reserve our own fire management plan. We share and re make fire management plan recommendations to our neighbors, and we all support each other and are on call when we need to go out and help with um, water buckies and fire trucks. We are always there to help everybody else in the in the landscape when people have to face the threat of fire. Well, Phil Murray, sounds like an amazing program and thanks so much for speaking to us. Mm -hmm.